Hey, hey, welcome back. Three Keys by Kelly Yang, read aloud by OD. We are on chapter 39, and it's page 180 if you are following along. If we recall, we left off in a pretty sad part where Lupe is uh, saying goodbye to her father, who she calls Poppy, and she's telling him to hang on. Because remember, the immigration police have arrested him and he is in jail. So she, Mia, and Hank went to visit him. It's very sad. Let's see what happens next. Chapter 39. The image of Jose's hand on the glass divider and Lupe's hand on the other side stayed with me for the rest of the day. I kept imagining that it was my own dad in there and I might never see him again. No more lucky penny search nights. No more long drives out to Monterey Park. It made me wish I had eaten all the red bean shaved ice and always used chopsticks, even when I was eating cereal. Lupe was quiet on the ride back. I guess she was thinking about how we were going to get her dad out and about her mom. She couldn't still be out in the desert. Had she been captured and put in one of these jails too? When we got back to the motel, even before Hank turned the motor off, I jumped out of the car and ran to my parents to give them a great big hug. I clung to them for a long, long time before finally letting go. How was he? My dad asked. Lupe shook her head. My mom pulled Lupe into her arms. Not great, Hank said. He's losing his mind in there. We've got to get him out. Lupe nodded, dabbing her eyes with her shirt sleeve and headed back into the front office to make more phone calls. As she dialed attorney's offices, I called Annie again to see if she had any leads on Lupe's mom. I'll definitely let you know if I hear anything through the newswire, Annie said. Do you know the coyote she was with? We've heard some cases of bad coyotes. Bad coyotes, I gasped, and I pictured conniving wolves with twitchy ears tying up Lupe's mom and going through her purse. Annie added quickly, I'm not saying that's what's happened here, but the fear had burrowed into me. We've got to find her. Her husband is in jail. Her daughter needs her. I explained the situation with Jose, and Annie asked if we had started a petition. Would that help, I asked? Oh yes, it can be very helpful at the hearing if you have something you can present to the judge. It shows that there's community support for Jose's staying. I scribbled the words, start a petition on my notepad. On it, I told Annie. On Wednesday afternoon, as Lupe and I were working on the petition after school, someone walked into the front office. Someone we never thought in a million years we'd ever see at the Cala Vista. Mrs. Welch! What are you doing here? I asked. Mrs. Welch took off her light red jacket and hung it over her arm as she glanced around the front office. You said to come by on a Wednesday, she said, clutching her purse tightly. She looked nervous. 
Right, I said. I got down from my stool and lifted the divider of the front desk. Let me show you around. I reached for the master key and took her out to where all the rooms were. I grabbed two cream sodas from the vending machine as we passed by. I handed one to Mrs. Welch. As Mrs. Welch took a sip, she pointed at the congregation of immigrants outside Mrs. T's room. Uh, what's happening over there? She asked. Oh, those are the immigrants. They're here for Mrs. T's class, I said. And I explained about the How to Navigate America lessons and walked her over, introducing her to everyone. There were five students that day, and they each smiled as Mrs. Welch shook hands with them, asking them what they did. I used to be a surgeon back in Bangladesh, he one told her. Here, I drive a taxi. A woman from Mexico, Mrs. Morales said, I used to be a nurse, but here I work at a massage parlor giving foot massages. Really? Mrs. Welch asked, surprised. You were a nurse back in Mexico? See, Mrs. Morales said. So why do you do this? Mrs. Welch asked her, curiously. Why come here to give foot massages? Mrs. Morales pointed to a five-year-old girl sitting in my mom's math class. So my daughter can have a brighter future. I stood with Mrs. Welch in the doorway, watching Mrs. T and Mrs. Q's class as their students diligently copied down every word. I had never seen my teacher so riveted, not even the time when she let us watch TV in class and Wilson announced he was cutting welfare. Before she left, Mrs. Welch popped in on my mom's math class. My mom was so surprised to see my teacher standing there. She nearly dropped her new graphing calculator. Your daughter is a good student, Mrs. Welch said to her, shaking my mom's hand. She has a lot of potential. I couldn't believe my ears. Did I hear that right? Thank you, my mom smiled. I hear you used to be an engineer in China, Mrs. Welch said. Mom blushed. Yes, I used to make telephone systems. And now you teach math, Mrs. Welch said, pointing to the class. Oh, only on Wednesdays, Mom said with a small laugh. <laughs> the other days I, I clean the rooms. Mrs. Welch nodded, as though she knew just the feeling. We can't always do what we want, she looked over at me. But we can try to make the best of what we do. Yes, we can, my mom agreed. Lupe walked in to join us, and Mrs. Welch turned to talk to her. My mom put her arm in mine and led me over to a quiet corner while her math students worked on a worksheet she had designed for them. I'm proud of you, Mia. I know how hard it was for you at the beginning of the year, but you stuck with it. Mom squeezed my arm, and my eyes crinkled. I was proud, too. Chapter 40 <clears throat> There were five messages on the machine when we got back to the desk, all from lawyers. The first four were from big law firms, and Lupe and I skipped right past those. But the fifth one was from a lady named Prisha Patel. I'm an immigration lawyer in Buena Park. I'd be happy to sit down with you and talk about your case. My fees are reasonable, and the first consultation is free, she said. Ooh, the free part got our attention. 
I immediately called Miss Patel back and told her we would come and see her tomorrow, right after school. At our first Kids for Kids lunch meeting in the new trailer classroom Mrs. Welch got us the next day, Lupe and I passed around the petition for everyone to sign. Lupe had decorated it with tree branches that all went up and down the sides of the page like curvy ribbons. It was a petition to free Jose. Bravely, Lupe stood in front of the room. As she explained her dad's situation, tears rolled down some of the other kids' faces. I was so proud of Lupe for getting up there and finding the courage to finally tell the other kids what she was going through. That day, every single member of Kids for Kids signed the petition, and several took extra copies so they could collect more signatures at home. After the meeting, Jason handed me a little card. It was from the Orange County Kids Culinary Academy, and it read, Jason Yao, future chef. I grinned. Your father's letting you go? And Jason nodded, beaming. It wasn't easy, he said. He leaned in closer so none of the other kids could hear. Money's been really tight. We might even have to move houses soon. I blinked in surprise. I had no idea things were that bad. But then I remembered the first day of school when Jason said he hadn't gone anywhere over the summer. And then later at his house when he said his dad's businesses were down. I guess he had been trying and trying to tell me, but I hadn't been very good at listening. How'd you talk them into it, I asked. I told them just what you said. It's my dream, and nobody can take it away. Jason crossed his arms and put on his ain't taken no for an answer face. I smiled. Plus, you were right, he added. There was a payment plan. As the bell rang, I threw my arms around Jason and gave him a hug. I was so proud of him. He looked completely taken aback by my hug, as did Lupe, who turned away as soon as I glanced over at her. You have to come over to the motel to show me the new recipes you learn, I said to Jason. Sure thing. As the bell rang, Lupe walked over to me. What was that? She asked. Jason got into culinary school. Oh, good. So he's moving schools? No, I said, confused. It's an after-school thing. Oh, she said. I lifted an eyebrow. What was up with those two? In class, all the kids were talking about the big march coming up against Prop 187 in downtown Los Angeles. The news had said that 70,000 people were going to march. Mrs. Welch asked if any of us were planning to attend. I looked around the room. No hands went up. Well, I do think it's important for us all to be informed, she said. The state is about to make a big decision. And she paused. I noticed she wasn't wearing her Pete Wilson button. And there are a lot of good reasons on both sides. Whoa, I glanced over at Lupe. Her eyebrows were up too. I bounced in my seat, feeling a flicker of hope. Maybe this thing wasn't going to pass after all. 
A smile played at my lips as Hank drove us over to Miss Patel's office after school. I thought about what Mrs. Welch had said. I like to think that I had something to do with it, though more likely she was just saying it to seem balanced. Still, it was nice. Lupe and Mrs. T sat beside me in the car. As Hank pulled into a strip mall, I furrowed my eyebrows. The lawyer's office was in a strip mall? It took a while to find it, but we finally did, way in the back, nestled between a deli and a footlocker, which remembers a shoe shoe store. Hank pushed open the rusty door. Inside were a desk, a couple of foldable chairs, a photocopier, and a plant hanging from the ceiling that looked like it had not been watered in weeks. Man, it sure wasn't Mr. Delaney's fancy firm downtown. The woman behind the desk swirled in her chair to face us. Can I help you? She asked. Uh, yeah, uh, we're looking for Miss Patel, I said. That's me, Prisha Patel, sole practitioner, she announced. She got up and shook our hands. Miss Patel was an Indian woman with silvery black hair, a warm smile, and glasses. She pointed to the plastic chairs in front of her desk. They looked like the chairs we had out by the pool. There were only two, so Lupe and Hank sat while Mrs. T and I stood. Lupe got straight to it. My parents and I are illegal aliens, she said. Miss Patel held up a hand. Uh, I'm going to stop you right there. Oh no, I thought. Here we go with the retainer again. But that's not what she was getting at. Actions are illegal, not people, she corrected. Excuse me? Lupe asked. Actions are illegal, not people, Miss Patel repeated. And please don't call yourself an alien. Do you have green ears and a finger that can light up? She got up again, smiling, and pretended to examine Lupe's ears. (laughs) No, Lupe said, letting out a chuckle. (laughs) Good. Then you're not an alien, Miss Patel said. Lupe glanced at me. I could tell she was thinking the same thing. I like this Miss Patel. The lawyer pulled out a legal pad and sat back down at her desk. Let's get down to business. When did your father cross over, she asked. As Lupe gave her the dates and the details of how exactly her parents emigrated, I thought about our own journey to the United States. My dad was a geneticist in China. A geneticist is a scientist who knows a lot about genes, not to be confused with genes, J-E-A-N-S, which my dad knows nothing about, pants, genes, no. He studies genes like human genes. His friend in America wanted him to come work for him. He was starting a new biotech company and he needed his help. My dad said he wasn't sure, His English wasn't great, but his friend insisted that good English wasn't necessary, only good skills. So my dad came and the company helped him with his immigration paperwork, putting him on the fast track to getting a green card. But when the company went under, my dad's friend fled back to China. My dad suddenly had no job, no money, poor English, and no one to turn to. He thought about going back to China, but 
He had already quit his job and he wasn't sure if he could get it back, even if he went begging to his boss. And he didn't want to go begging. Couldn't stand the thought of his colleagues making fun of him for not making it in America. So we stayed. Yes, we had the green card, but we couldn't eat a green card for dinner. When the last of our savings dried up, my mom and dad started applying for manual labor jobs. And that's how we ended up at the Calavista. I used to think it was pretty rotten luck, but now listening to Lupe describe how she and her parents had walked for days in the desert and how it got so cold and they had had to huddle together skin to skin, how her father caught the rain with his hands and fed it to her, I felt grateful for my family's luck. Lupe's parents walked until the rubber soles of their shoes were completely rubbed off, until the blisters on their feet sprouted flowers. Still, they kept walking, their achy legs and empty stomachs fueled only by hope, the hope of better opportunity and safer streets for their daughter. My parents and I flew here on a plane. There were no blisters, and I had still had a scared flutter in my heart not knowing what tomorrow would bring. Whether I was going to like my new home, whether it was going to like me back. Even now, I could feel the flutter sometimes, like that day I had found the awful poster at our pool. Miss Patel took notes as Lupe spoke, stopping at times to ask for locations, dates, and other details. And where's mom, she asked. Lupe's voice wobbled as she told the lawyer she didn't know. She was supposed to cross back in the middle of October, and now it was less than a week before Halloween. I reached into my backpack and pulled out one of my flyers with Lupe's mom's picture on it. We've been handing these out, I told her. Good, she said, taking the flyer from me and putting it on her desk. If you manage to get in contact with her, tell her to stay put in Mexico at least until your dad's trial is over. So you think there's hope? Hank asked her. You can get Lupe's dad out? I'll do my best, Miss Patel replied. Lupe took a deep breath. And what about your fee? She asked. We'll work something out, Miss Patel said casually. I shook my head. I had been around the block long enough to know that we'll work it out meant we could be taken for a ride, which means they, they could get ripped off and lose money. We need to decide on it before you start, I told her. We have some tip money from the summer saved up. I glanced at Lupe, who nodded eagerly. Almost a hundred dollars. Miss Patel chuckled and shook her head. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to do this one pro bono. I'm the daughter of immigrants, so I know how it feels. I looked over at Hank, and he had a huge smile on his face. What's pro bono, I asked. Pro bono is when you take on a case for free, Miss Patel said. Lawyers do that sometimes, if they find something worth fighting for. I'm sure you guys have let guests stay at the motel for free before. Oh, have we ever, I smiled. Miss Patel turned to Lupe. Well, I think reuniting you with your parents is well worth fighting for, she said with a nod. Don't you think? 
Lupe's chin quivered as she nodded back. As Hank shook Miss Patel's hand and Mrs. T told her how grateful we were, I asked her if there was anything we could do to help. Miss Patel thought for a minute. I'd start talking to your neighbors, rallying up support. The more community support we have, the stronger our case will be. Lupe and I grinned and proudly pulled out our petition to show her with all the Kids for Kids signatures on it. Smart girls, Miss Patel said. This is an excellent start. If you can get some more signatures and perhaps even get some politicians or the media on our side, even better. We walked out of that tiny office armed with hope, determination, and the unbelievable luck that we had found someone who believed in Jose's case as much as we did. It felt so good to know that the spirit of helping others lived not just in our sign, but in people's hearts too. And that's all we're going to read for today. Thanks for listening.